Please be seated. And please pray with me. Lord, that is my prayer as we move to the conclusion of this series, that you would bring a unity in Christ, a deep rootedness among us, that we would serve you as one body, one family, one community. And Lord, may you bless the preaching of your word today. May it be your words. Speak through me, dear God, and open up our hearts to hear. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, today, friends, uh, we are concluding our sermon series, Rooted Together. We've been going through Colossians. We're going to be looking at the final section today. And uh, I think it's a good thing that we're concluding the series today because, I have to be honest, I am running out of tree metaphors. (laughs) And Gene Frost, who did such an excellent job last week, he had the gumption to use both the turf builder and water in one sermon. What else was I going to do? I was at a loss. But thanks be to God, the Lord gave me some direction this week. <laughs> Southern came to me. But we've been giving you this image of the, those great sequoia trees, the tallest trees, and their roots go out to one another, and they intertwine with each other, and that is how they are sustained over thousands of years. And we've talked about how we want our roots to sink down first into the soil of the gospel, and then out towards one another as we contend for each other, as we commit to life and community, as we care for one another. And we've talked about uh, rooting out the weeds of lies and legalism and lawlessness. And then last week, Gene preached about those turf-building qualities, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiving one another. And as I said, I was a little bit at a loss of what, of what to say about trees until, no kidding, I stumbled across an article about tree ecology. <laughs> Came up in my newsfeed this week. I said, Perfect. And uh, it was all about the environments and how the ecosystem around the trees is so essential to the life and health of the trees. And even the great sequoias, they they need the the proper amount of rain, uh, the quality air, which can be a problem in California where a lot of the sequoias live. And they even need the right amount of natural fire in order for the grove of trees to grow properly. And so today, we're going to be looking at uh, the text of Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 18. I invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles. And I want us to look at the environment, the ecosystem of the early church, and how this helped them live rooted together. And we're going to look at the environments of mutual prayer, joint mission, common formation, and shared communication. And I'm going to contend that these are four environments that we need for the health of the body of Christ in order to live rooted together. So let's talk about the first environment, rooted in the environment of mutual prayer. The Apostle Paul, he begins this passage by saying, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too. So this first line reminds me immediately, devote yourselves to prayer. This reminds me of Luke's description of the early church in the book of Acts, where it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. See, prayer and praise characterize the environment of the early church. And maybe you're like me, and you're tempted to think, you know what, they had it easier back then. 
They lived closer to the time of Jesus. You know, maybe they had more time on their hands. They weren't so busy. But that's not true. That's not true. These Christians were just like us, except they had, they had kids to raise. They had jobs to do. They had households to manage. In fact, they had many challenges that we don't face. All of this in a culture that was opposed to their faith. So this culture of prayer, this environment of prayer, did not happen merely by accident or because they lived close to the time of Jesus. No, it happened on purpose. What does it say? They devoted themselves to prayer. And this word devoted, it means to persevere in an activity until the point of devotion. So it's, it's persevering in, it's an intentional commitment to say, this is going to be part of our culture and our community. And so we, Christians, we ought to commit to prayer Paul says being both watchful and thankful. Now, being watchful is about vigilance because the Apostle Paul knows we are in a spiritual war and prayer is how we fight. Prayer is how we stay, uh, stay alert. It's how we keep watch. So he says be watchful and thankful. And if you remember earlier in the, in the letter, Paul said one of the marks of being rooted in Christ is, being, is overflowing with thanksgiving. Christians who have received the grace of God become thankful people. So be devoted to prayer with watchfulness and thankfulness. And then what does Paul do? He requests prayer for both for himself and for Timothy. In verse 3, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I think this is amazing. The apostle Paul is in prison. He's in chains for the gospel. He's asking for prayer. What would you ask for for prayer if you were in prison? Oh, get me out of here. Oh, give me some comfort. Give me some relief. Lord, help. I mean, maybe the, the Apostle Paul was praying that in his personal devotions, and we just don't know. But he's requesting prayer for the spread of the gospel, for opportunities to share the gospel, and that when he does, he would be bold and clear. And when you look at the prayers of the New Testament, they're often aimed at either spreading the gospel or the maturity and growth of Christians. Growing in Christ. They are our mission-oriented prayers. And remember that this is how Paul started this whole letter. When we looked at Colossians, he, like he always does, he starts off with a prayer for the church. And then he reminds them in Colossians 1.9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And he goes on from there. But simply Paul says, we haven't stopped praying for you. We have been devoted to praying for you. And now we would like you to be devoted to praying as well. And that when you pray, pray for us. Remember us. Remember what God is doing. And do you see how this is already rooting them together? They haven't even met each other. Hey, I'm praying for you. Will you pray for me? N.T. Wright says this, to ask the Colossian church to pray for him is to bind them, bind them to him with ties of mutual obligation. They have never seen him face to face. But once you have prayed for someone and once you realize that they are praying for you as well, a bond grows up which creates a relationship of love and trust ahead of any personal contact. Isn't that amazing? I mean, how many of you can point to a time in your life when you had many people holding you up in prayer? Can you point to a time when you had brothers and sisters, your church holding you up? I know it's more than just a few of you raising your hands. <laughs> we, I think many of us can point to times 
when we had the church praying for us, difficult times when your small group, when your fellow church members were praying for you, and they let you know, hey, I am praying for you. I'm holding you up. And I know that's true for my life. In difficult times I faced, when people were praying for me and they let me know how encouraging and what a bond that formed with them. You know, bonds strengthen when mutual prayer happens in the church. Bonds strengthen. But often we reserve this kind of mutual intentional prayer only for the really hard times. But this is the environment that we all need uh, for a rootedness in Christ. I mean, how much more connected would we be if our brothers and sisters were on our lips in prayer? If their names were on our lips as we prayed to the Lord? And if people were telling you, hey, I am praying for you. I'm letting you know. And they actually were. Wouldn't that make a difference? We need more mutual prayer in our lives, friends. Prayer is the atmosphere that Christians grow best in. If the sequoias need that quality air, Christians need quality mutual prayer in the church. And what I mean by mutual prayer is this. Praying for one another and praying with one another. Praying for each other, praying with each other. And remember that this is a letter to a church. It's not to, it's not to you. It's not to an individual. It's devote yourselves. All y'all be devoted to prayer together. Be devoted to prayer as a church. Let it mark your church. So we need to normalize prayer all the more. Let's normalize praying with our friends. Normalize praying with your family, with your spouse. Normalize asking for prayer more. Normalize pausing a meeting or a conversation for prayer. And that's one thing I really appreciate about our, our sister Wendy, Wendy Smith in our church. If you're ever in a meeting with Wendy, and there's a lot of conversation going on, and she'll just say, you know what, can we just pause? Can we just pause for a moment? Can we listen to the Holy Spirit and pray about this? Then let's come back to it. And I tell you, friends, that makes a huge difference. And, we, and, and friends, that's why we need to be around other brothers and sisters in the environment of prayer who help us along. Because some of you are thinking, you know what, I'm not even sure what to pray or how to be devoted to prayer. And I would just encourage you to get yourself around people who know, who have had the formation in Christ. You know, someone like a Wendy or someone like uh, how I grew up with a Lois Johnson. Lois was a prayer warrior in our church when I was a teenager at First Covenant Church in Grand Rapids. And somehow, as a 12 and 13-year-old kid, I knew, and people would tell me, Lois prays for this church every day. Lois is praying for you. Lois is praying for your family probably every day. And I, I mean, I didn't really know this woman personally, but she would tell me, hey, I'm praying for you. Oh my goodness. The bond that I had, even with this woman in my church, an 85-year-old woman, who was praying for me as a 12-year-old kid. Whoa. Mutual prayer. Mutual prayer. And I, it seems like almost every church, God gives every church at least one person who's like this. Uh, and notice the Colossians had this too. In verse 12, Paul says, Epaphras, who is one of you, and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, Mature and fully assured. Epaphras, a prayer warrior in the church. Now, Paul is providing Epaphras as a model. He just told him to be the church to be devoted to prayer. Now, here is someone who is doing that on your behalf. So, what Paul is saying, hey, look, just make sure your, your, your church has a couple prayer warriors and you're good. No, no, he's not saying that. 
He's saying, all of y'all be devoted to prayer, and here's someone who's doing it. Learn from them. And this is how we create an environment of mutual prayer that roots us together as the body of Christ. So, friends, that's the first environment that we need. The second environment we need is to be rooted in an, an environment of joint mission. The environment of joint mission. Now, we've already hinted at this because Paul is not simply praying for his comfort in prison. He's praying that the gospel would spread. And then he says in verse 5, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt like those chips, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Have you ever wondered, how was it possible that in around 33 A.D., Christians, the number of Christians was maybe 120, 150, somewhere along there. And then by 300 AD, it was the most dominant religion in the Roman Empire. I mean, this is unusual amount of spread. This is crazy. How did that happen? This is how. This is how. Everyday Christians making the most of every opportunity and taking what opportunities God gives them to speak about Jesus with others. That's it. In fact, in David, David Powell's commentary on Galatians, he says many sociologists have now recognized that most conversions are not produced by professional missionaries conveying a new message, but by the rank-and-file members who share their faith with their friends and their relatives. Every member a missionary. Every member. If you have Christ, friend, you're now a missionary. You are now sent by the Lord to every person he gives you opportunity with. And he has given everything for you. How can we not do him the honor of making our best effort to share him with others? That's what the Lord calls us to do. And this environment, this environment of mission is essential for the health of any church. It keeps the focus off of ourselves and our preferences, and it forces us to ask, well, what is best for the mission of God? In fact, John Frank says this, God is, by God's very nature, a missionary God, and that therefore the church of this God is missionary by its very nature. From this perspective, mission defines the church as God's sent people and is therefore at the very core of the church's reason and purpose for being, for being and should shape all that the church is and does. Mission is the organizing principle of all the church should do. And we, sh when we share that common mission, we become aligned to a purpose that's bigger than ourselves. And this is why team sports can be so compelling, because they, ra they rally people together about a clear objective. What's the goal? Win the game. Well, what do we need to do to win the game? Whatever needs to be done to win the game, that's what we need to do. If you're good at offense, we're putting you on offense. If you're good at defense, we're putting you on the defense. Oh, you're good at analyzing film, we're putting you on the sidelines so you can analyze the film. Whatever needs to be done for the sake of winning the game, that's what we're going to do. How do we do it? That's the goal. And so what should our church do together? What do we do? Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to accomplish the mission of God of making disciples in this community that he has planted us. And friends, when you work together on something that is so divinely important, eternally important, uh, divinely inspired, I contend that you will make the best friends you've ever had. I contend, I, I believe that. 
And I just look at, look at how Paul, we forget how human these people are, but look at how he is describing the people he works with. Tychicus, dear brother, fellow servant, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, who is in prison with him. And, and actually, F.F. F. Bruce points out that this is a word that means fellow prisoner of war. So Paul's saying, hey, look, we're in battle together. We are soldiers of Christ together. You're my fellow prisoner of war in this. Then he says, our dear friend, Luke, beloved friend. You know, it's through pursuing this important mission that the early church, they became dear friends with one another. And I believe that those who pour themselves into the mission of God, they will be rewarded with dear friends, fellow servants, and partners. So I want to ask you, do you, want, do you want, would you like closer Christian friends? Maybe you do. I would encourage you, jump into the mission. Jump into what God is doing. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's mentoring younger believers. Maybe join the youth group, join the kids club, do VBS with me this summer. We'll build a relationship. Do whatever you need to do and serve out in the community with other people and we will build strong roots together. And all these things serve the mission of God. You know, friends, if you live in a church environment that is the opposite of this, it's very toxic. If you live in an environment where the church is for me, the church is for my preferences, my choices, or what we want, then our roots will be pulled out really quick, really quick. Because when the church doesn't please me, when we let each other down, we'll just uproot. Maybe we'll fight with each other. Maybe we'll leave altogether. But that won't fix anything. Because the problem is the mindset. It's the environment. It's the idea that this is about me. It's not missional. The real question is, well, what is God doing and how can we join him in what he's doing? How can we do that together? That's what this is all about. Friends, if you live in an environment where the church is on mission, you know, that's what the mo is most important. Whatever it takes, that's what I'll do. If you live in a church like that, we will be so rooted together because we'll have a purpose that's much, much bigger than you or me or even us. We'll be rooted in a purpose of what God is doing eternally in the earth. What could be a bigger purpose than that? We need to be rooted in this mission. How can we join God in what God is doing? The third environment, friends, that we need is rooted in the environment of common formation. The environment of common formation. I'm going to be very brief on this, but look at verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, See, it, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. So there, this is already an early sign of how th these letters began circulating in the canon of the New Testament formed. But the idea is Paul wants the church reading the same things, hearing the same things, learning the same theology, being formed in the same way and at the same time. And friends, frankly, this is one more plug for our church Bible reading, that we would be learning the word together, because that's what this is. We grow together as we read the same text, as we discuss them together, as we listen to the same sermon, as we, our kids go to the same groups. We all are formed together as we're, as we're learning in a, in a community of common formation. That's a strong bond. And finally, I'm going to go to number four. 
We need to be rooted in the environment of shared communication. Shared communication. Now, this may seem not very spiritual to you at all. And I want to talk about the like, last 10 verses of this passage, which you might be tempted to skip over. It's just a bunch of greetings here and there of Paul to his different people that we don't know. But a lot more, I think, is going on in this text than we might conclude. And three times, Paul mentions that he wants the Colossians, people he's never met, by the way, I want, he says, I want you to know about what's going on with me. So if he mentions three times, and you know what's important. In verse 7, he says, Tychicus, who Paul is sending, he will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. So the Colossian church, they're going to receive some messengers from Paul. They're going to get this letter, and they're going to hear news about what's going on where Paul's in prison. And, and really what is happening here is Paul is making bonds happen through shared communication. That they are now going to be bonded to Paul because there are people who are going to tell the church everything that is going on there. And this is important for us too. This is critical to our discipleship. That being a part of a church... It allows you to have a focus that's, that's much broader than just yourself. And then you're part of a denomination and a group of, of a missionary network that's going around the world that shapes you in a global mindset. So that keeps us from being too narrow on ourselves, on just our church, on just Illinois, on just America. No, God is a global God. And so we need this shared communication about what he is doing in the earth. So that's important. And then I also want you to consider this morning the practice of sending greetings. All the greetings that are going on in this text. We just skip over it. But consider this. How often, verse 10, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. Epaphras, verse 12, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, he sends you his greetings. Verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor in Demos, send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha in the church in her house. I mean, how amazing is this? All of this cross-communication. How much more connected would we be if we made it a personal habit to send greetings when we're away from each other for a while, when we can't make it to something? Uh, in fact, this is something I've been asked to do as, uh, as, as a covenant pastor. We have a monthly meeting uh, with all the other covenant pastors in our area. And it's our habit that when we can't make the meeting, you are really required, you're supposed to, send a greeting to the other pastors. And so you write back an email. Hey, I'm sorry I can't attend this month. Uh, greetings from Faith Covenant. We're praying for you and your ministry. Uh, and here's what's going on with us, and see you next month. And so you, sometimes you might get four or five of these emails. It seems like nothing. But gosh, if you didn't hear from somebody for a couple months, they missed a couple meetings, you don't send a greeting— it's like we haven't, we haven't talked to each other. There's no bond. There's no shared communication. So that little practice can make a significant difference in our sense of connectedness and rootedness. You know, one person who I think uh, models this well for us uh, is, is Barbara Clark. And if you don't know, Barbara, she prints out the life at faith every week, and she goes over it, reads everything that's going on, looks at all the prayer requests, prays for all the different prayer requests, and so she, she knows. She is connected to the church. 
because she's simply praying and she knows what's going on. That's a powerful little habit. I mean, these, all these little things add up. You know, if we, if we stay in ch- t- uh, touch with the, with the church's events and the calendar and the updates, if we're corresponding with the missionaries that we support, if we're checking into worship when we can't make it in person and leaving a prayer request, when we're messaging people who have a need in our church newsletter, maybe reading the Life at Faith, letting your small group know, hey, this is what's going on with me. I can't make it this week, but here's what's going on with us. Letting your team know that you can't make a meeting, but I'll be praying for you. I mean, can you see how all these little habits of greetings and communication can root us together as the church? It's an environment thing. It's a culture thing. And so we got to point it out so that we can make an environment where this shared communication can happen among us. So brothers and sisters, in order for us to live rooted together in this volatile world, we need the environments of mutual prayer, joint mission, common formation, shared communication. And do you see how you cannot do any of those on your own? If I haven't convinced you yet this series, can you see how you cannot live without the body of Christ? We need each other. Our children and teens need this type of environment. We need this environment when life's busyness threatens to take over. We need this type of environment when we're older, we have more time. When we're younger, we're raising kids. We need this environment all the time. And I think through this series, I recognize, friends, that maybe I'm calling you to a shared life and mission that is more challenging than you've maybe been challenged before. Because yes, I am calling you to make the church central to your life, to be devoted to a community to be devoted like the early church was devoted. So yes, I'm asking you to maybe say no to other things and say yes to the church. That's what devoted means. Say, I'm going to be committed to life in community. And maybe you're wondering, and I don't know if I can do that. That sounds like a lot. I'm uncertain about that. Well, I, I just want to conclude with two phrases, two phrases for you. Complete your ministry and remember the chains. Complete your ministry, remember the chains. The Apostle Paul, he tells Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. We don't really know who Archippus was, some type of servant, minister in the church. And this letter is going to be read publicly. He's going to be publicly held accountable for completing whatever ministry God has given him. And I'm not going to do that today for any one of you. But if you are alive, if you are here right now, if you're listening to my voice online, you have a gift you have a ministry from the Lord. You have a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're alive in here, God has a ministry for you. And I simply say to you, complete the ministry the Lord has given you. Fulfill the ministry God is calling to you. And some of you need to hear, start the ministry. Start the ministry that the Lord has given you. How long are you going to wait before you jump in? And some of you need to hear, return. Return to the ministry that I've given you. Return to the ministry that, that, that God has called you to. Maybe you've, you've taken a pause for a while. Come back. Fulfill the ministry God's given you. And finally, in ver- verse 18, remember the chains. Paul writes this greeting in his own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Christ is our, or, I'm sorry, in Christ, Paul is our fellow brother our fellow soldier, he's our brother in arms, and he wrote this letter with his arms in chains. And so if you aren't sure that you can be devoted to prayer, 
Remember the chains. If you aren't sure that you can devote your life to the mission of God, remember Paul's chains. If you aren't sure that you want to be formed in Christ deeply, remember the chains. And if you aren't sure that you you want to share in this communication, remember Paul who wrote this letter while he is in prison in chains. Remember the chains is a call to action to complete the ministry that God has called each and every one of us to. So friends, may we remember the chains this morning. May we complete the ministry that God has called us to. And my prayer is that we would grow intertwined like those great sequoias and that the Lord would fulfill fulfill every purpose he has for you and for us as a community. May we grow deeply rooted in Christ. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, I do ask and pray that you would help us be rooted in you. Help us to be rooted together. Help us to live up to the calling that you have given each and every one of us in the mission and call of this church. May we be found faithful to you and to your gospel. Amen. Rita Christensen is going to come forward and lead us in our time of community prayer.